0: Well, good morning. It's awesome seeing faces that are regular and new faces turning up. Thanks for coming and being with us. Um, You know, uh, has anyone in here bought a house? (laughs) Okay, like Monica and I are in this like house hunting season. It is not very fun. It's a bit stressful. We viewed something yesterday. We're like, we love this house. It's right at the top of our price range. And then we talked to our realtor. We're like, we like this one. And then he's like, well, I just contacted them. You need to have an offer in by 10 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, so we're sitting last night, like do we do it, do we not do it, do we do it, do we not do it? Ah! So uh, that's where I'm at this morning. <laughs> just by way of uh, vulnerability and, and self-disclosure. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's a stressful time trying to figure out where we're supposed to be. So in the spirit of what we're talking about, about prayer, like we seriously need your prayers. Because part of the conversation is where's the right place to be that's conducive to what God wants to do here. What's close enough, what puts us in a community where we can meet people, share the gospel and see them come to faith. What's within our price range, what is God giving us a gift, all of that stuff. So please (laughs) join us in prayer. And for those of you who haven't been around, I know there's a a couple of people that aren't as familiar um, with what's going on here. I just started here September 1st, so we're in a new season as a church where we're asking the question, Who does God want to be, who does God want Alliance Bible Church to be as the church in this community? And so we're in a season of discerning, we're seeking the scriptures, and we're going to be doing some more things as we gather together to figure out corporately what God is putting on our heart as a church and what it looks like, what we need to be shaped like, and, and what... Uh, things are going on in the community around about us that God wants us to be active and participating in in order for his name to go forth. Um, And so yeah, in the spirit of prayer, pray for us and keep praying for the church as we seek what it is that God wants to do in here and through here and into the world. So um, the other thing going on in the world right now, we've got an election coming up. It feels to me just as intense as the house buy-in process. Um, as I'm watching everything that's going on, and, and the passage we're going to look at, at today in in Philippians, I mean the passage is really about discernment. And I feel like as I'm looking at my life, and, and Monica and I's we're trying to figure out what's going on. As we're looking at Christians uh, across the city, or trying to figure out what goes on in this election, I think discernment is a key word that's really important for what we need, for what the church needs, uh, for what our city needs as we figure out uh, how we honor God moving forward. Um, and so we're going to look at this passage and explore uh, a little bit about our need for discernment. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1. Um, and again, if, if you've not been tracking with where we're at, we're just uh, preaching through Paul's prayers. Um, so we started in Romans. We're just going through his letters, looking at his prayers and asking the question, how did Paul teach us how to pray? Um, and what do these prayers reveal about his heart and vision for what church is supposed to become? So let's start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, and we'll read through to verse 9. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is just loaded with love and affection. Again, another beautiful prayer. In this, you really see Paul's heart coming out for this church, the depth of his affection, the depth of his love. I mean, how many of us can claim with Christ as we look at someone else, like, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus? I mean, that's a bold, lavish statement. Um, before we jump into the the passage just a little bit of context we don't need to spend a whole lot of time in this but this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi um, most scholars would agree that this is written from prison in Rome as Paul is waiting uh, to to see Caesar um, and he's waiting on kind of what all that's going to look like so he's imprisoned there and he's writing to this church um, that, that he has this relationship with. And all of this, all of the letters, really, in, in essence, a thank you letter that he's writing to them because they've provided some sort of financial support to him in his prison. Um, and if you don't realize, it's always hard to remember what people know, biblical context. When we think of someone being in prison, we think of prison here, where they go, they're in the prison, and they have all their food provided, and they've got a nice bed, and they've got workout equipment, and they've got schedules and education. This is more like they're stuck in a cell and they're just left there. And and the only way that they get food and the only way that they get cared for if, is if some people turn up at their cell and provide food, provide clothing, provide blankets. So he's in this cell being left there. He's probably treated a little nicer because he's a Roman citizen in a Roman jail. Um, but at the end of the day, for him to be able to get the supplies that he needs, someone's had to provide it. So here this church in Philippi has heard of Paul's plight and they've sent someone to him with a... with. The, the supplies and the finances he needs in order to survive here. Um, and, and so when he's writing and he's saying, I, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, he's talking about the receptivity of the gospel and the work that he's done. But he's alluding to the, the financial provision that they've given to him in order for him uh, to be able to continue his ministry even while imprisoned. Um, So if you imagine being imprisoned, (laughs) if you imagine having nothing and someone comes along motivated by the Spirit to provide what you need, this is the place of thanksgiving that he's bursting from. Um, It's a letter that is riddled with joy. All the way through, he's talking about joy and thanksgiving and gratitude. So it's a very joyous and hope-filled letter. Um, And you see him allude to this right at the start as he begins talking about this joy and this affection um, that he has. Um, It's also a letter that, that is interesting because this is the one where Paul, more than his other letters, really hits on this idea of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. So you've got this guy who is, he's Jewish by birth and he's also Roman by birth, so he's a dual citizen. Kind of like me, Um, and he's dealing with these two citizenships. Um, But in everything that's going on, as he's looking, how how does this revelation from God, how does this encounter with God affect how we live in this world? A large part of what he's emphasizing in this letter is that our citizenship is not in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where our identity comes from. That's the values that are supposed to govern who we are and what we do. And that's what's supposed to make motivate us into the world. So our Christianity is supposed to supersede our Americanism, our Scottishism, our <clears throat> whatever other nationality you may be in here. I'm trying to see if there's anyone else that I know has a different nationality. Um, so it's he's trying to say this is supposed to supersede it so when we're in this world trying to discern what is best trying to discern what is right we have to put our nationality to the side because remember all the way through he's talking about jews and gentiles so you have to put this this ethnic thing to the side and we have to fix our eyes on jesus and his revelation and allow that to determine what our citizenship should look like Um, And so that's the precursor for everything he's saying. That's the framework for the letter. And here at this point, he's offering this prayer. So as I address you in this big context, here's the prayer that I have for you. And I just want to read this small prayer, verses seven through nine again. This is his prayer for these people. And this is his prayer for us. This is our prayer for us as we look at who we're supposed to be moving forward. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, So we're going to look at this. We're going to look at essentially three prayers that I want to invite you to be praying over our church this week. And they're very simple. Again, we're just pulling these right out of the passage. This is not some fancy uh, way of doing this. So the three prayers that we're going to look at. First of all, that we would abound in love. Uh, Secondly, that we would... um, grow in discernment, and then then lastly, that we would bear fruit. So we're going to look at these, these prayers, that we would abound in love, that we would uh, grow in discernment, and that we would bear fruit. So we'll look at this first one, Uh, the, the first prayer, that we would overflow with love. Okay, you know, in, in all the passages we've looked at so far, there's been kind of this common thread. I've talked about this a lot, but this is actually the first time in these prayers that he's explicitly referencing overflowing in love. He's not said that yet. Everything so far has been about our inner disposition and the kind of hope that we have, our understanding of our identity, the spirit working deep inside to strengthen us. But this is the one where he starts to look outward and he's saying that this prayer that we would be people who overflow, who abound uh, in love. Now, when I, when I read this and when I think about these words, I, mean, I don't know about you, just the way my brain works. I start, okay, overflow with love. I have a gazillion Bible passages that just fly through my mind about either overflowing or about love. And we know, we know the core ones, we know the most famous one. You know, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. So that expression, the overflow of God's love towards us was his willingness to come in the form of Jesus, to die for us. We know the greatest commandments, that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. These are the, all these passages that, that, that you can think of that talk about what's it look like to love your neighbor. Um, What does God's love look like? Love is patient, love is kind. All of these things are the backdrop of this prayer that we would overflow with love. Um, I I was purposeful here in choosing the word overflow. I could just use the word abound, but I don't feel it's a word we use very often. I don't walk around telling people I'm abounding in resources or abounding in joy. Overflowing is is more the word that we use. But, But the other thing, the other reason I use this is this passage that's one of the ones that plagues me. And I think as we go on and we're talking about discernment, I think is a really important verse that we have in our mind. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words of Jesus. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to see if you're overflowing with love, if you want to see what you're overflowing with, if you want to see what someone else is overflowing with, if you want to see the condition of their heart, pay attention to their words. Because what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of the condition of your heart. So if your words coming out of your mouth are perverted, it's an overflow of a perverted heart. If the words that are coming out of your mouth are critical, it's the overflow of a critical heart. If the words coming out of your mouth are putting other people down, they're derogatory, they're pejorative, they're bigoted, that is evidence that that is the condition of your heart. So when Paul tells us that we're supposed to, have our mouth, we're supposed to be filled with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs what's he saying is the overflow of our tongue should be a reflection of the fact that our heart is focused on the worship of God and um, so when we're praying this we're going to pray for our church that we would be a church marked by overflowing with love and one of the primary ways we're going to be able to discern whether that is true or not is by listening to what each other says uh, and this is scary there's, there's, a, there's a discipleship curriculum out there called uh, sonship and they do these retreats and, and one of the homework assignments they give during the retreat is to spend 24 hours allowing nothing negative to come out of your mouth. So only say what is God honoring or uplifting, everything else you have to, to stop it. And, and I actually would encourage you to think about this for the next 24 hours. Pay attention to the words that come out of your mouth. As someone asks for advice, are the words coming out of your mouth his or yours? If they're yours, stay quiet. If they're his, speak them. As you talk to someone next to you, um, are you encouraging them and building them up? Or are you saying something that's tearing down? As you're responding to the news headlines, are, is the, the conversation you have with the person next to you continuing to feed the cycle of criticism? Or are you bursting forth in prayer that God's kingdom would come? So, so the challenge, 24 hours, pay attention to the overflow of your heart spoken in your words and ask yourself what does that tell me about about what's going on inside and here's the deal i'm going to give away the the end result you won't be able to do it (laughs) right (laughs) it is nigh impossible what does he what does james say it's impossible no one can control the tongue Right? We can't control what's going on in here, but it is important to be attentive to it to see what's going on inside. We're not all gifted at being able to dig down deep inside our heart and see what God's doing there. We're not all attentive to our inner life, but it's very easy to be attentive to our outer life. So I would encourage you with this. Let's just this week be attentive to your words, be attentive to each other's words, and ask yourself the question, what is flowing out of my heart? Um, Because what do we want to be? We want to be a church that overflows with love, that we overflow with grace, that we overflow with the truth of Jesus, that we are people who are walking in society, productively building people up, that we're speaking the identity of hope, the identity of Jesus over their life, not partnering with the enemy to speak lies over the people around about us. We want to be people that look at the the groupings within our city that we feel are most undeserving of the love of God or that we feel are most distant from the love of God. And we want to be prophetic voices of hope, looking at their grouping, at their subculture and saying, I can see where God's image is in you. I can see what God wants to do in you. And we begin partnering with him to speak a different identity, a different destiny, a different hope over them. This is what it means that we would overflow with love. So so the love that we've talked about in the passages up till now have really been about us grasping God's love. And I mean, and that's part of it, that we would abound more and more in love. Um, but this is talking now about the way our love goes outward. And everything that he's gonna talk about is this outwardly directed love. So we wanna be a church marked by this. Like, if, if we do nothing else as a church, I wanna be a church that's marked by love. Um, I, I I think there's lots of other good things in Scripture that we can say we're about. But when I read what Jesus tells us we're supposed to be about, I see love God and love people. And so uh, love is the thing that's going to define everything that we do. So let's be a church that overflows with love. But look at this. Um, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So Paul here is qualifying what this kind of love looks like. So what we're not saying is that we're going to be about blanket love. We're just going to love everyone. We're, and, and that just means we're going to permit everyone to do whatever they want. We're just going to come alongside and cheerlead everyone. It doesn't matter if they love the Lord, if they walk further away from him. It doesn't matter if they're doing the things that he approves of or they're completely rebelling against him. We're just going to approve and endorse all of it. That's not the kind of love that we're talking about because we know that's not love. We talked last week. What is love? Love is to seek the highest good of the one being loved often at cost to self. So this is, he's starting to qualify, what is this kind of love that we're supposed to overflow with? And he says it's a love that is marked by knowledge and depth of insight. A love that's marked by knowledge and depth of insight. So what are these two words? The word knowledge, I mean, always, Paul has numerous words at his disposal that the most common word for knowledge is gnosis or gnosis, uh, I don't know how a Greek would actually say it. Your Greek teachers tell you to pronounce the G, and I just think that sounds dumb. So, if you're a gnostic. Um, so, uh, the, the, word, the, the common word is gnosis, which is, which is just the word for knowing stuff. Like, we would talk about knowledge. Um, often in their, in, in, in their culture, knowledge is less about intellectual and more about experiential and it's both. We tend to separate and Greek culture tended to separate the, the, the knowledge and the experience. Hebrew culture, Jewish culture was a lot more uh, unitive in the way I approach things. So we've kind of separated out, let's have the facts and let's have the experience. Um, so so when you come to words like knowledge and scripture, usually you've got to put knowledge and experience together. So this is a depth of understanding coupled with a lived experience, but actually the word uses here is epigenosis, which which isn't the common word it's it's a variation on the word and and it really means to know with a degree of certainty uh, you, you could say it's knowing about this is this is about really knowing with some degree of not just certainty but thoroughness of study so this is researched and experienced and proven in your life and um, the word for insight here Aesthesis is, the. this is a fascinating word for me, the capacity to perceive the real nature of something. Um, often in relation to your senses, the ability to use your senses, the five of them plus your spiritual ability to perceive what underlies the things that you're seeing happening in the world around about. So, so he's saying your love should be qualified uh, and, and defined uh, and have guardrails to it to do with this ability to thoroughly understand God and who he is and what he wants and the ability to look into the world and not see what's presented at surface value, um, but, but, but to see underneath to the real motive and the real nature of stuff. I mean, this is us really getting into what he's about to talk about, discernment. The ability to look behind what you're seeing um and so when he's saying we want to abound in love he doesn't just say let's abound in love so that you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness he says like if if you were to do it in greek because the word order is different he says this i pray that the love of you so your love even more and more would abound in knowledge and depth of insight so the emphasis is actually the abounding. In knowledge and depth of insight. It's not just love abounding, but it's this other thing. So we could call this, let's pray that our church would overflow with discerning love. Let's pray that our church would, would grow and overflow with discerning love. Now, you know yourself. There are t- kind of two extremes when it comes to how we pursue Jesus you've got the truth people and the love people is how we like to say it you know there's truth over here there's grace over here and so if you're over here and you're standing on the truth that gives you permission to bash people over the head to criticize them to tear them down because they're not living the way God wants them to be you get these people over here that we want to love God and it doesn't matter what you do what you value what God's word says we're just going to come alongside you and and cheerlead you along the way what Paul is saying here is that, like that dichotomy is completely against the will of God. It's supposed to be truth and love. We know this so many times, speak the truth and love. Uh, love according to what God's truth says. Uh, and in this passage that we would abound in this love that's marred by knowledge and, and by this depth of insight, the ability to see under the surface to understand what's going on. Um, so, so if you're in here and you consider yourself a, someone that gravitates to truth, you know you're a truth speaker, you read the truth of scripture and you think it's your job to enforce God's truth and the people around about you. That probably means that you're over here and that the greater work for you is gonna be, how do I offer more grace? How do I temper my words? How do I speak with gentleness? How do I speak with kindness? Uh, And and if you're over on this side and and you veer towards grace, the question and the challenge for you is you naturally are gonna pour love on people. But what does discerning love look like? What does love qualified and, and understood through the scriptures look like? And we have to pull these two things together. And it all comes from this belief that when you read the scriptures, when you understand them, when you have an intimate relationship with God, when you're encountering his spirit at work in you, that what he reveals is what's best for society. And so he's saying the love that we wanna have is a love that says, God, your way of doing things, your definitions of how things should be is what's best, but then it's not our job to be the enforcer. We have a spirit who's the convictor of the world. It's our job to get people in encounter with the Spirit of God, with the person of Jesus, with the love of the Father, so that he can do the convicting work in them that they need. And it's our job to come alongside them and do everything we can in our power and ability to support them in that process. And what that often looks like is Jesus sitting with a prostitute. Loving and caring and having meals. It looks like Jesus sitting with the tax collectors that society said had sold their soul to the devil because they were partnering with the wrong government entity. Um, And and so Jesus was with those people. Who did Jesus speak truth the hardest to? (laughs) It was the religious people. The ones that thought they'd figured out God's truth. The ones that thought that they could just enforce the truth without helping anyone in the process. And he would just smack them down. Because their truth lacked the love that we saw in the person of Jesus. You're going to hear me say this so many times uh, over the duration of of being here. Um, When you look at the person of Jesus, he is the most hard person to grasp in many senses. Because you've got this guy that's fully God and fully man. So you've got these two things that to us can't make sense together in this one person's body. You, you have scriptures that say he was full of grace and full of truth. Somehow both of those things together. He's the sovereign Lord who's over everything and can understand everything that's predestined in the world. Yet full free will as a human being to live the way that we live. And so you've got all of these contradictions that come together in the person of Jesus. So when you find yourself looking at dichotomies like this, truth and love, you gotta say, who's Jesus? Is he truth or is he love? And the answer is he's both. And so we have to fight to hold both of those things in tension in our lives and the way that that we interact with the world. So when we ask for this prayer that we would grow Uh, that we would overflow with love. When we're we're praying this over us, this is that we would grasp the love of God that is undiscriminating or indiscriminating. I don't know the American way to say it. Uh, The love that doesn't discriminate. (laughs) That we would have that love, but also that we would have in our mind this higher ideal, uh, of what God desires for this world, what is best for this world, and that we expand ourselves and sacrifice as a community to help other people experience that fullness that He has for them. It's uh, good. So he says in here, this is my prayer that you love me abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And he gives the why so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus. And and so he starts talking about that in this translation, they use the word discernment right here. Um, Other translations would use in this part that we would um, approve of what is best. Um, again, scriptures pop into mind. Romans chapter 12 is one that's really familiar to people. One and two, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will really is, as good, pleasing, and perfect will. That, that scripture that's about how you lay down your life Uh, how you be this living sacrifice, how you are renewed in your thinking so that you can test and approve what God's will is. So what does that mean? It means that we're saturated in scripture. It means that we're in an intimate, ongoing relationship with Jesus so that we can see uh, what it is that he wants so that we can partner with him in that. It means that we take the time to examine our own life to see what are the lenses that we're looking through into the world. What's the upbringing that shapes the way we perceive the world? What's the the, the political framework that you grew up in that shapes how you frame the world? What's the denominational affiliation that you grew up in that shapes how you you look at the world? What color is your skin and how does that shape how you view the world? Because we have to be able to set those things aside. We have to understand the perspective that we bring and be able to set them aside to be able to look at what God wants, what the perspective is that he brings, and be able to implement that in the world. So, so we want to be people that are being transformed in our thinking, that our, our mind has been more and more aligned with the truth of God um, so that we can walk in his way in the world. <laughs> the, the, it, it's always, I, I wish everyone could could understand everything that was going on in the backgrounds of these passages. The the, the literal translation here would be so that you can approve of what is different is the word approve of what is different but the word that they use for different has this underlying sense of it's not just two things that are different but the the difference is a kind of moral superiority or it's different in a way that is better uh, not, not physically, but with this inner spiritual sense of it being a higher value. Um, and so when they're translating latent, that, that you would be able to discern what is best, it's that you would have this ability to discern the difference between things and be able to pick out what is spiritually superior from the options that are in front of you. Um, and I mean, this is, this is like, we don't like this in the church. You want to come to church and have the person at the front tell you, here's black and here's white right? That's what we want. We want clear, neat categories. This is right. This is wrong. Vote for this guy because it's right. Don't vote for this guy because it's wrong. Buy this house because it's the right one. Don't buy that one because it's wrong. Take this job because it's the right thing God has for you. Don't do this. We just want clear black and white stuff. Should you attend this person's wedding? Should you not attend the wedding based on who they're marrying? We're like, just give me clear black and white directions so that I can go out there and do it. That's not the way God wants us living in the world. The Christian journey is a, is a journey of growing in discernment. It's, it's this increasing journey of learning to distinguish in the gray. We want a black and white world. We, I'm sorry to tell you, we live in a gray world. Uh, and, and it makes things really, really difficult. I put up here, you know, you don't need discernment when it's black and white. I think, is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Yes, it's black and white. Doesn't take a whole lot of discernment. Requires a whole lot of spiritual revelation from the Spirit in order to walk in that truth. Um, But it's black and white. Jesus is the way to salvation. If you don't have him, you don't have it. Black and white issue. Um, Most of the issues that we're dealing with are gray areas. And the more gray it is, the more discernment we need. And so that Paul would pray that we would abound in this discerning love is really a statement that you're going to live in this gray world and you have to have the tools internally to be able to figure out what, it, what is not what's right and wrong, but what's good and what's better. It is a lot of what this is. We, we sit and I, I hear all the time, I hear it right now, I've heard it a lot in America, you know, when it comes to politics, we're choo- like the thing that I hear most often is we're choosing between the lesser of two evils. That's not the way scripture portrays how we're supposed to be functioning. It says we're supposed to be distinguishing between what's good and what's best. Um, and so, so I think we have it flipped the wrong way around. We're supposed to be asking, what is most aligned with the character of Jesus? Um, and, and allow those things, and, and, and this is not my how to vote thing. I'm, I'm using that as an example for the broader gray area of life. What is better and what is best are the things that that, that we need to be able to figure out. Let me read you a a couple of quotes um, that would define discernment. What is it to, to grow in discernment? So Sinclair Ferguson, really awesome Scottish theologian says this, true discernment means not only distinguishing the right from the wrong, it means distinguishing the primary from the secondary, the essential from the indifferent and the permanent from the transient. And yes, it means distinguishing between the good and the better, and even between the better and the best. This is a prayer that as a church, we would grow so nuanced in our discernment that we're not just saying, this is a good idea for us to walk forward in as a church, because everyone comes with good ideas. And lots of what we suggest are things that would be really great for, for ministering in our community. We don't just wanna do what's good. We wanna do what's God's best for this church and for this community. And that's gonna require a lot of discernment. That requires ideas, it requires some risk-taking, it requires boldness, but it's gonna require sitting together in God's word and in prayer and listening to what he's saying in order to walk forward in those things. Um, Henry Nowen, um, beautiful spiritual writer. I guess my, there we go. <laughs> my iPad's decided it doesn't like me. That's why. You bring paper. Henry now (laughs) says, this this is his description of of discernment and how we grow in it. Discernment for Christians is a lifelong task. I can see no other path to discernment than to be committed to a life of unceasing prayer and contemplation, a life of deep communion with the Spirit of God. Such a life will slowly develop in us an inner sensitivity enabling us to distinguish between the law of the flesh and the law of the spirit a lifelong journey rooted in unceasing prayer and communion with the spirit of god a life devoted to contemplating the scriptures and 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 what they mean for our life and our ministry i spend I mean, spiritual direction, I don't know if any of you meet with a spiritual director. I meet with a spiritual director once a month. And his job is to help me in discernment. His job is to listen to what's going on in my intimacy with the Lord and help me discern what's God and what's not. And so for the last two, three years, we sit together, and a lot of what he's doing is we'll we'll talk about a situation. Next time we get together, I'll probably be talking about the house hunting process and the anxiety I feel. You know, we've talked several times, resonance and resistance. I'm feeling this resistance inside and this anxiety around what house we should get. So what's that revealing about what's going on inside? There's something, lack of trust, there's other issues going on in there. Um, but the discernment process, he's always asking me, is that, is that from the spirit or is that from your flesh? Like what, where's that response coming from? Are you able to tell the difference? And, and sometimes it, uh, sometimes it's like I, I'm looking at something in my life and I'm saying, you know, this was an awesome moment that, where, where I saw God move and then I'll say, but, but obviously, the, the fact I doubted is, a, is evidence of my lack of faith. So I'm looking at this moment. God moved. It was awesome. I really experienced him. And then I say, but, but yeah, like I doubted in the middle of it. And, and he'll look at me and he'll go, where's that coming from? Like <laughs> the words he said to me the other day, he said, you wouldn't be you if you weren't harsh on yourself. And I took that to heart and I was like, because that discernment says that voice that's been harsh on me isn't the voice of the Lord speaking to me. He has a gentleness and a kindness about his approach, but that harshness of voice is not him, it's me. And so then I have to say in that moment when I feel this harsh voice critiquing a lack of faith, I want to distance myself from that voice and I want to trust in the God who is speaking. Discernment. This is who we need to be as a church. When it comes to, like I had a conversation with, with a couple of people in the last week about whether they should attend a wedding of someone that's, that's uh, having a same-sex wedding and, and asking the question like, wh- is this a black and white issue? For some people, it is. For many people, it's a gray issue. The question is, how do you discern and what does discerning love look like? And will the answer be the same for every single person? And it's dangerous when we start saying, here's a debatable issue on the table that requires a lot of prayer, a lot of reflection on scripture, a lot of discernment, and then we turn our opinion about one event into the law that everybody else should follow. Um, We have to be willing to sit in the gray, to pore over scripture, to listen to the voice of God and to figure out in this instance, what does discerning love look like? and, and it's hard. And again, everyone wants me to stand here and say this is the right and this is the wrong. And so do this and do this in every situation and that feels safe. And certainly when we're younger and when we're less mature in our faith, we need more of those guardrails. We need more black and white thinking to help us make the decisions because we don't know how to discern. But as we age in our faith, We need to be growing in discernment. We need to be more comfortable. It's not pleasant in the gray, but we need to become more comfortable in the gray because we've absorbed the truth of God. We know his word. We're looking at what is discerning love in this moment? How do I lead this person closer to Jesus? Is it attendance or is it refusing to come? What in this instance is God asking me to do in order to to show his Uh, his truth and his love to the person in front of me. And it's hard. Um, And that's why we need to be praying this prayer. That we would grow in love and that we would grow in discernment because these things are difficult. And it's very easy as we progress in age and longevity as a Christian to settle into black and white thinking because we think we've walked with Jesus long enough to know all the answers. I'm young and I find myself doing that. I'm scared of what I'm going to look like when I'm 80 years old. Um, but, but we have to be growing in discernment. How, do, how does he qualify discernment? How does he qualify how we test and approve what is best? That we would overflow with love marked by knowledge and insight. Um, so that discerning love is the qualifier for the type of discernment that we're supposed to walk in. You know, many of us, I think, are quite, the challenge here is to discern and approve of what is best. And I think often we are content with what is mediocre when it comes to our spirituality. I think often when it comes to our intimacy with Jesus, the Western church is content with mediocrity. So I'm content with reading the Bible enough and I'll define what enough looks like. I'm content with knowing enough of the truth um, to be able to speak it when it's necessary. I'm content with hanging around and sharing the gospel only when an opportunity comes up. Uh, I'm content with the sin issues in my life because I'm managing them just fine. Um, We're stuck in them and they're still there, but I'm okay managing them as long as like the balance is in the favor of kind of more Christ-like than not. And so we settle in this mediocrity in our faith and and this is about can you discern and approve of what is best? Do you know what is best for your life? Do you know what a a, a relationship with scripture looks like that is the best for your life? Do you know what a life of prayer looks like for you that is best for your life? Uh, Do you know what intimacy with Jesus looks like that is best for the community around about us? Um, Are we going to be a church that settles for mediocrity in our worship, in our giving, in our serving, in our community engagement, in our love? Or are we going to seek together what is best and strive to operate in discerning love and and to walk into the things that he wants for for us? We'll move on to the next one. But the last prayer point in here is that we would grow in and, and the fruit of righteousness, that we would bear the fruit of righteousness. So, so when he gets to this part, as, as Paul likes to do, he, he kind of does the, let's state it negatively and then let's state it positively. So he states it negatively first, that we would be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. So what's pure and blameless is really that you don't have the wrong things going on in your life. Um, the word for pure here is, is an interesting word because it, it's, it's about sincerity of motive. And it makes sense that that's the word he would use when he's talking about discernment, that you would walk in the world with a pure motive. Um, is your motive pure? When you engage in business agreements with people, do you have pure motive? When you're building a relationship with someone? Do you have pure motive? When you're trying to figure out I want to serve or lead in in this church and another church in an organization, is your motive to honor God and serve Him wholeheartedly? Or are you looking for power and control? What's the motive? Are you do like, are you looking at the house? I mean, this this is again I'm this is where we're at, so I'm going to keep coming back to disclose what, what we wrestle with. As we look at a house, are we looking at the house that is the best one um, for us to be able to do ministry here and to reach out to the community? Are we looking for the house that makes us look the best? Because the external appearance and the internal appearance portrays us in a particular way. Are we trying to be in the right kind of community so that the people around about go, oh, you live in that neighborhood? Or are we trying to be with the people God wants us to minister to? It's about motive. So what is the motive that we have in the decision that we're making? So he wants us to be pure. So have pure motives, Christ-like motives, discerning love motive in everything that we do. And then that we would be blameless. And, and this word carries this connotation of when an accusation has been made against you, that there's nothing that they can hold against you. Um, so this is not, this is not like... To some degree, this, it's talking about the day of Jesus. So there is a like us and God element to being pure and blameless. But again, with all of these prayers, a lot of the focus is in this domain, how we relate to one another. It's not that we would abound in love so that we're pure and blameless in the sight of God. That's part of it. But it's that we would abound in love so that we're pure and blameless in the way that we're interacting with the people around about so that we can show God to the people that we're interacting with. So again, it's a question, are you going through your day aware of your inner motivation? Um, are you going through, are, are you attentive enough? Do you take the time to stop and think, what is it that God is trying to do in me? Is this God leading? Is this the flesh leading? Are you aware? Um, and what are the tools that we need in place in order to do that? And then, and then we'll go, we'll talk about this way more at another point in the, in the not too distant future. But we tend to always think about these things individualistically. So I'm talking about discernment and I'm giving examples from my life that are about me and Monica trying to figure out where we live. Um, But this is a prayer written to a church, to the community, that as a community, they would be able to discern what is best. And we often like to say, I've discerned what is best, therefore it's right. And I'm gonna go do the thing that I discerned in the world, where God is saying, That you as a community would take the time to discern as a community what is best. And I feel like in the Western world we've lost sight of community discernment. How do we join together as a community to discern the voice of God, to discern of all the options on the table what is best, not to preserve the history and the heritage that we've come through, and, and not so that we can reshape the church in someone else's image and, and look hip and trendy, but what is actually best in order for God to do what he wants to do in and through this church. Um, that's the negative side of it, that we'd be pure and blameless. So I say negative because it's the removing of, removing of the, the, the wrong thing so that we'd be pure and blameless. Stated positively, that we would be a church that's filled with the fruit of righteousness. That we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Um, You know, in, in almost every prayer that we've looked at so far, Paul talks about filling. Being filled with the Spirit, being filled with love, being filled with righteousness. Um, so so he has this abundance mentality when it comes to his intimacy with god that we would overflow that we would abound that we would be full and in this instance fruit of righteousness and, and do the same thing what word comes to mind what passages come to mind as soon as you start thinking about fruit <laughs> and, and and what did someone say? yeah abiding in the vine and you'll bear much fruit what else comes to mind Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. What's the primary fruit of the Spirit from which all the others are flowing? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Abound in love and bear the fruit of righteousness is another way of saying that you would be abiding in the vine so that the nourishment would come out of you and bear good fruit. It's another way of saying that, that out of the overflow, your heart, your mouth would speak. It's another way of saying that you would have the fruit of the Spirit. The primary one is love. The primary one is not truth, the primary one is not mission, the primary one is not discipleship, the primary one is not worship, the primary one is not even prayer, the primary fruit is love. Um, so this is a prayer that as a church we would be defined by the thing that God defines the church by, by an overwhelming love for him and an overflowing love for the people around about us that does not look the way the Western church has defined it for so long. Um, Our version of love in the West is so distorted. Um, And we see it in society roundabout with the brokenness of families. Um, and that's not a, a critique of a family that's broken. I grew up in a, a broken home uh, and I experienced lots of love in, in that family but, but it's the, the, we see a dearth of committed love in the world round about. We see a, a lack of gracious love in the world round about and we see a lack of discerning love in the world about. So this is this real call to be marked by love. You know, I gave you one, one homework exercise already to kind of do the 24 hours guard your tongue exercise. Um, another exercise that would be good to do this week is sit down with the, the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine of them. And, and take some time prayerfully, write down the nine fruit and evaluate yourself on a scale of one to 10 for each of the, the fruit. How am I, how would I score myself at loving? How would I score myself at gentleness? How would I score myself at self-control because these are the fruit that our life is supposed to exude. Our goal is that we pursue Jesus so much that eventually we're gonna see him face to face and these are gonna be 100% in us. Um, but where are you lacking right now? Where are you lacking? And the, the thing that lies behind the lack of fruit is a lack of connection to the love of Jesus that, that we've talked about in the weeks prior to this. So take time, evaluate yourself. Um, the the key fruit here, this fruit of righteousness, the key fruit is love. True, discerning, other-honoring, self-sacrificing love. True, discerning, other-honoring, self-sacrificing love. And it's that when it marks our life that brings God glory. So at the end of this, he's, he says, you know, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Where's it come from? It comes through Jesus Christ. We're back in the, the vine imagery to the glory and praise of God. So all of this, what's he praying? He's saying, be filled with love, a kind of love that overflows with knowledge and insight. And with that discerning love, you'll be able to test and approve what God's best is for the world. And when you can test and approve what his best is, it's actually gonna help you stop sinning and walk in righteousness. And when you walk in that kind of fruit, that discerning, true, other-oriented, self-sacrificing love, that's the primary thing that's gonna give him the glory and the praise that he deserves. And what's the praise? The praise is the declaration of who he is. It's the declaration of his character. It's as we look at our life and we're overflowing with the character of Jesus. So as a church, people are looking at us. They're seeing the type of love that comes out of us. They're saying we don't find that kind of love anywhere else in the world. I wanna know this God that you worship because if that's the kind of love that he has, then I want that God in my life because I want to experience that kind of love. So this is not, again, this is not so that we can grow our church by numbers. This is not so that we can. say that we're effective at mission out there this is not so that we can feel good about the impact that we're making in the world this is us being transformed so that he gets the glory that he deserves scripture says god is love it says that everything he did was out of the overflow of that love when we live that kind of life we are mirror images of the god that we're serving so i i've debated all week whether i should say anything specifically about this So I'm just going to go for it. We're we're in an election season. And I am not originally from this country. So I come in to this country with a different set of lenses to what I'm used to seeing here. And I hate what I see in American politics. Um, In the UK, uh, we just had, for the first time in my lifetime, we just had um, the referendum for Scottish independence, and then the referendum for Brexit. It's the first time in my lifetime where in our system, we've had two opposing parties and it's almost torn our country apart. Um, And coming over here and watching it happen here, it's horrible. And what hurts me even more is watching Christians continuing to fuel that divide and hurt other believers and distort the image of God to the world round about. It is hard to figure out what you do in an election. It is hard to look at a worldly system with worldly people and figure out what is God's best for the country that we're living in. It is hard. It is not black and white. And here's the deal, discerning love, love that's marked by discernment and depth of insight, that we would overflow with it in a way that shows the character of God to the world roundabout. I don't care what you vote. I don't care what your political leaning is. In many ways, that's between you and the Lord and your family and whoever else you have those discussions with. Um, (laughs) But this is the thing. We have to be very careful as Christians with our words, with what we post on social media, with what we say in a group setting because you don't know the positions of the people sitting around you. You don't know where they stand, you don't know their journey, and you don't know how much damage you might be doing with your words. I saw a meme the other day that was said, let's just go on people's Facebooks and troll their their political opinions and tell them they should vote the opposite way because that always works that was a joke yeah Uh, and 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 i was looking at it saying yeah that's that's kind of the way we think if i just hammer someone enough they'll change their opinion and usually what happens is if you hammer someone enough they dig their feet in even further um so so what this means is we have to be aware when it comes to how we're talking in this season that we're not uh, equating jesus and either political party because what happens is we start saying the biblical Christian way to vote is over here or the biblical Christian way to vote is over here. And then what happens is we tend to defend our position and often that means we permit what is mediocre and we actually end up approving of things that don't align with the Lord. So what I wish I could hear from Christians in America, what I wish I could hear, if I just give some really vague examples using our current two parties, and we're talking about discernment, I wish I could hear this. I wish I could hear someone say, you know, I've been praying and discerning, and I really feel like I need to vote Republican in this election, because I'm trying to figure out what I think is best, and and I'm doing everything I can, and I can't be certain, but I'm trying my hardest but while I'm voting this direction, these things about this party and this party leader are against the character of God. The language that's been used, the rhetoric that's been used, the divisive terminology is not aligned with the character of God. And so it's not, it doesn't come across to people as a blanket endorsement, but discernment. I'm discerning what I think is right, but I also know what is wrong. And then I wanna hear the people over here going, I feel, as I'm praying and seeking that this is the way that I want to vote in this election. I'm trying my best and it's hard. And I see these policies that seem in line with the person of Jesus and the justice heart of God. But there are these other policies that I think are an abomination to God. And I just want honesty rather than what I hear is blanket endorsement of both sides. The label, this is the Jesus way to do it. And then other people coming to me, and I sat with a couple this week in tears, like questioning whether they should even stay part of the church, questioning their relationship with God because they're listening to Christians round about them, bad-mouthing the opposing party and saying, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and, and people feel really strongly on this stuff, and it's hard. But we have to understand the history here is in politics right now, it is deliberately divisive. And some of the things that are being said on both sides are a marketing strategy. And we say, I see this in this person, and it's a conviction that aligns with scripture. I see this in this person, and it's a conviction that's aligned with scripture. But what is happening is this person is appealing to the votes of this demographic, and so they're saying this. And this person is appealing to the votes of this demographics, and they're saying that. What does Paul ask us to do? To overflow with love that's marked by knowledge and the ability to see what lies underneath what's really happening. And so it's the ability to look and say, I hear what they're saying. Is that truly a Christian value? And you can have a non-Christian walking in Christian values. You can have a Christian walking in non-Christian values. But then I come back to the places of, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do the words on both sides and the horrible ways they debate with each other and the horrible ways that they slander each other show about what's going on on the inside? Because as soon as we stand up and say, this is it, I'll ask you a question. If everyone in America turned out looking like Joe Biden and advocated for all of his policies, would the church be what Jesus wants? If everyone in America turned out looking and acting just like Donald Trump, would the church look the way that God wants it to look? And so we have to be able to, in this season, say, yes, I have a strong opinion. Yes, I believe there's biblical values that underlie my opinion, but I see what is good, own what is bad, and be willing to discuss with one another in discerning love. Because what I'm afraid of is all of the people out there that have nothing to do with Jesus, that are watching and listening to the church fight and argue over this, and are being pushed further and further away from God as a result. And so that's, that's not a, you guys are wrong, don't vote, don't have strong opinions, it's none of that. The question is, as we do it, are we aware of the people around about us? Are we aware of the lenses that we're coming to? Are we actually operating in discernment? And are we talking about these things in love for the people around about us? Because if we're not, we're very far short of what God desires for us. Um, And I'm watching Christians avoid the church right now because of what is going on within the church. So if Christians are gonna avoid coming to church because of how we're dealing with politics, what hope is there that a non-Christian is gonna set foot in our midst to help be instructed in the way of God in the middle of it? Um, So my challenge to you with all of that you know, this is, it. this is his prayer. What's his prayer? I pray that you would abound in love more and more in, in knowledge and depth of insight so that you would be able to discern what is best and may be blameless. So no one can bring an accusation against you that you would be pure, that your motive is centered in Christ and not what you need or what you want um, for the day of Jesus. Jesus that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that fruit that overflows love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, so that people would be looking at you and they would see a discerning person so they'd come seeking your wisdom. They know they'd experience grace. They know they'd hear hard truth when it's needed. Um, and all of this, that would experience this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Then all here be glorified. So so let 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 me let me pray. Let me pray this. Now this is it's such a hard season and, and I feel the tension and I feel the tension in the room and I see it in every group that I'm in as we gather together. I see the hurt, I see the hatred, I I see the thoughtlessness, I see the gentleness, I see all. Um I've sat with people in this room and I've heard hard things being spoken that were unkind but done innocently. I've seen gentle loving things being said done with full intent Um, and God I'm guilty of all of it. I've spoken harshly. I've not spoken up when I should Um, but God that's not who you call us to be as the church. And, and you call us to be citizens of heaven. So that means there's a different kingdom that, as a church, we are part of. It means there's a different ethic and set of values that we're supposed to walk in. Um, and Lord, I know I so easily get pulled back down to earth. And I so easily get caught up in the perspective of my upbringing. And I so easily get, get caught up in my opinion and my desire and my hurts. Um, And it influences how I walk in this world. But Lord, that's not the way you want us to be. So as I look at this church and I think about the people that are here, what do I know? I know these are people that love you. Lord, I know that these are people that are committed to you. I know that these are people who have been faithful to you. And I know that these are people who are listening to you and desiring your best for the world. Um, And so God, we need your help. Um, We need your help that when we disagree that we would do it in love. We need your help that when we're looking at these areas, trying to discern, that you would help us to see the good and the bad and and to be able to justify and answer um, and and, and not defend um, out, out of a wrong posture. So God, as a church, here's what we need. Would you help us to overflow with a love that's abounding in knowledge and insight? Lord, we wanna be overflowing with love. So that means, God, we need you to give us a deep encounter with your spirit. God, we need every day to come reconnected with you as our Father who adopted us and has appointed us all these glory and riches. God, we wanna encounter that so that we overflow with it to the people around about us. God, I want us as a church to be accused of being too loving because we're so lavish with the love that we pour over other people. God, would you increase our knowledge and our insight? Would you help us to grow in discernment that we would know your truth, that we would feel confident about what it says, that we would speak it in love. Lord, that we would be known as someone, as as a community that builds up the nation round about us. Lord, that we partner with people that are different from us and through that they see this overarching work of your spirit that crosses barriers god would we overflow with discernment increase our discernment that we're not making black and white decisions that are reactionary or culturally bound but that we are actually taking the time to pray and seek lord help us to spend as much time praying about how we vote as we do talking about how we'll vote um Lord, would you help us to grow in the fruit of righteousness? Lord, I don't want to be a church that that has the fruit of the world. I don't want to be a church that has the fruit of good Western Christianity. I want to be a church that has the fruit of righteousness. And that means that everything that we're doing and everything that we are is aligned with what you think is best and what you've deemed are the boundaries that we're supposed to operate within. So God, help us to overflow with that fruit that we would be known by love, by joy, by peace, by patience, by kindness, by gentleness, by goodness, by faithfulness, by self-control. And God, why do we want all of that? Again, it's not about us it's not about America, it's not about the world, it's about you, that we would overflow with love, that you would be glorified, that you would get the praise that you deserve, that you would get the glory that you deserve. So God, we stand here, I stand here as the pastor here, I stand against the spirit of division in the Western church. Lord, I stand against the work that the enemy is doing to turn Christian against Christian, to turn your name away. God, would you help us to walk on a higher plane as believers who stand on our convictions, yes, who are vocal about what we think is true, yes, but who do it with humility, always considering others better than ourselves. So Lord, we need you. We need your love. We need your discernment. And we need you to bear fruit in us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to have us pray, but I'm just going to invite the band up to, to lead us in a final song. Um, as we reflect on that, and just ask God to help us figure out what it is that we need to do as we move forward in this season.